everybody and welcome back to collect me episode five can you believe we have five episodes under our belt that is amazing uh it's been a it's been a blast because i've had a lot of fun doing this with you oh yeah i've had a great time man it's it's been so much fun just talking about all the different genres of collecting you know and we're just getting started my name is richie i am your host for collect me and i am chris your co-host so today we're talking about how the xfl fall on a rock how we have our top five Holy Grails picks. And don't call it a comeback. They've been here for years. Garbage Bell kids are making a huge comeback from oh, yeah. our childhood. Oh, yeah. It, Garbage Bell kids, uh, I mean, I have my specific reasons why we're going to discuss the Garbage Bell kids uh, today. Because I found something out about the connection between that and the artist who went on to do something really awesome. Um, but Garbage Pail Kids are one of those things that I remember when I was a kid, everybody had them. Right. Everybody collected Garbage Pail Kids. It it was... If you grew up in the 80s, you you had your favorites and you grew up collecting Garbage Pail Kids. Absolutely. You know, it wasn't an expensive hobby. You could go to the store, I think for 25 cents, buy a pack of, of Garbage Pail Kids. That, That came with the bubble gum. That came with the bubble gum, which... Once again, a lot of kids did it for the bubblegum, but everybody I knew collected them, boys, girls, teenagers, um, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that what they were based on right. uh, appealed to kids, yeah. and their kind of, I guess, grotesque nature. Yeah, they were gross, but funny. And, for us, I mean. And when you're a 10-year-old kid growing up <laughs> in Palm Springs and not much to do, yeah. that, that sounds like a full Saturday afternoon. I mean, what 10-year-old kid? Five-year-old kid doesn't like boogers, farts, you know, vomit, thinks that kind of stuff is hilarious. Although, there's a history, and as much as we love them, there was a lot of people who were very much against them. I'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we get into the garbage pail kids. Yeah, I mean, just the way that there was rap that kids loved to listen to back in the 80s, and there was a bunch of people against making rap or allowing rap to become a popular thing it same goes with uh garbage pail kids there was going to be a yin and a yang like there is to everything in life right absolutely so chris uh the rock xfl the xfl was bought and purchased by the rock and his ex-wife for 15 million dollars danny garcia yeah danny garcia um and so i think this would be great for the xfl what do you think you know what i'm gonna agree with you um I think there's another partner that's included, the Redbird Foundation, I believe they're called. That's right, the Redbird Foundation. Uh, They came up with the money. They purchased the XFL from uh, McMahon. McMahon. From uh, the WWE. Right. And I think it's the best thing that could have ever happened to the XFL. Nothing against Vince McMahon. He's obviously a very successful businessman. He's built a gigantic brand with the WWE. Mm -hmm. All the way back to when it was called WWF, World Wrestling Federation. But... I was never convinced that McMahon was the kind of guy that sports players were going to have a rapport with, that they were going to follow him the way they would The Rock. Yeah. You know, 
it's to me it's one of those things where when if I'm gonna play for a team, if I'm gonna play in a league, I'm gonna have way more in common with a guy that I know played the sport than with a guy who has a sport because they consider wrestling a sport. I don't, but a lot of people do. Sure. That's scripted and for is strictly entertainment. All I know, all sports are entertainment, right? But wrestling really is just entertainment. It isn't real. It's right. scripted. Now they do punch and slap each other, hit right. each other with chairs, right? But that's about as far as it goes. When somebody you know gets knocked out of a ring or gets their head slammed you know, in the ring, and it knocks them unconscious. Yeah, it's, it's all acted out already. It's, yeah, it's all acted out. They, they they practice this stuff ahead of time. Right. And and unfortunately, they brought some of that to the XFL. Right. Uh, I don't know if you remember, before it made the comeback, when it originally came out the first time. Right, back in uh, 2001. Yeah, 2001. Uh, there was also scripted scenes in that, yeah. when the guys would go back to the locker room and there would be fights and arguments on camera right. and things like that. And I just kind of was like, mm, you know, to me, sports, I know it's entertainment, but come on, you know? Yeah, I, I think that it's, it's. I mean, w people are going to respect The Rock. He was a football player. For mm -hmm. those who don't know, he played with the Miami Hur Hurricanes. Yeah. Uh, he even has a football card, which is very rare, very hard to find. Um well, I didn't know that. Yeah, he has a, he has a football card when he played with, and he even won a championship when those that during that Miami Hurricane. Yeah, uh, that, that that my hurry, my Miami Hurricane uh, college team was pretty deadly. You had uh, Ed Reed, yeah. The Rock, yeah. uh, Warren Sapp. Warren Sapp. I mean, they were just that was a disgusting team. Yeah, they were great. The only concern I have is that much like the XFL, um, you know, it's. It's hard to fit into already a packed entertainment where we have already professional baseball, professional hockey. I mean, you know, you have base basketball right now. Of course, in my opinion, basketball is the number one sport in America. You know, last year uh, for the World Series, um, it was the least amount of people watched the World Series last year than any other time in sports history. Mm. Whereas... The flip side, people are more and more not just in within the country, but around the world. Yeah, are watching basketball. No, yeah, uh, I've always said uh, this is a, my personal opinion, and I've had many people disagree with me. But I honestly, wholeheartedly believe basketball is going to be the first professional sport that is going to get played international, where you're going to have teams traveling around the world to play each other in one giant league. I honestly could see that happening. Yeah, I mean, well, we had that kind of with baseball, right? With the Toronto Blue Jays, yeah, and, yeah between Canada and the United States and the Montreal Expos before they moved yeah. to Washington. Uh, but yeah, basketball super popular. I mean, you know, you got, you know, I think Michael Jordan really helped create a brand recognition yeah. for the NBA, and then gave that to Kobe, who then gave in return gave that to LeBron James, and now we see with Zion, yeah. um, you know, that it continues, you know, all these years later. But I think with all that, it's it's going to be a tough sell. You know, I, as much as I hoped at the league, but the reason that it's failed twice, much like the USFL back in the 80s, who coincidentally, yeah, but that, that, that was owned by Donald Trump. Yeah, that was a different scenario because um, the USFL in the 80s when it came out didn't play at the same time as the NFL. It came out, it started in February, I think ended like in May, June, and it was always on the off season of the NFL. Right. And then Trump being the guy that he is decided, well, I want to have some of that 
you know, fortune and fame that the NFL has. So then he tried to run him up against the NFL and play the games at the same time yeah. that the NFL was on. And, and you're just never going to do that. That's Absolutely. that's not going to work. There was a, you, did you ever see the lingerie football league? Yeah. <laughs> that also only lasted a few seasons. So it's going to be a tough side. I wish them the best. I know that they're going to do their best to try to um, create some excitement. I think Gene Simmons from Kiss actually owned a football team. That he night. did. Yeah. And, and he, did. he owned the LA team. Yeah, he owned the uh, um, what was it, the LA Galaxy or something like that. No, no, I don't remember the name of the team. It was uh, the LA Extreme. Yeah, yeah, the LA, LA Extreme. Yeah, um, um, and then uh, Bon Jovi also the uh, Philadelphia Soul. Yeah, so you know, I know that they try to get big names, but it's just a hard sell with already a packed in. You know where we have so many professional sports uh, already, so it'll be tough. I'm gonna have to disagree with you on this one. I really think that. Having somebody like The Rock and his popularity and everything that he is and, and is about is what's going to make this succeed. Um, not only from the popularity and entertainment point, because he's, if not the highest paid actor, one of the highest paid actors in the country, um, but he's a sports guy. I think anybody who comes to the XFL to play is going to really appreciate him. He's going to be able to appreciate the players and the game itself. Um, but on top of that, he's a huge, very successful businessman. He's yeah, no, built a lot of brands absolutely. himself. I mean, he, you know, how he was able to rebuild himself because he got hurt. Yeah. That's what prevented him from going into the NFL, but how he reinvented himself as a wrestler to a big-time movie star. I mean, there's no it, doubt that the man knows what success is. I'm just saying that. Absolutely. You look at the three-on-three -three in basketball that was created by Ice Cube. I mean, I think Clyde Drexler was the um, the president. or So, you know, again, it wasn't as popular as basketball. No. And, you know, so these secondary leagues are very tough to sell. It's they very, are. It's very hard. They are. Um I'm sorry, Clyde Drexler was the commissioner of the three-on-three, the um, big three. It, no, you're right, because the only other leagues that have been successful so far outside of the NFL are the two sister leagues that are attached to the NFL, which is the NFL Europe and NFL Mexico. Right. But it's because they carry the NFL name. Right. And they were created as sister leagues uh, through the NFL. So you'll get teams that wear the same colors as, like, the Bears – in Europe, they have yeah. the same colors, just a different name, because they obviously aren't going to be, you know, the uh, France Bears or whatever. Um, and same thing in Mexico. They're called the Condors, the Dinos, but they're attached to the NFL. So I think that's one of the reasons why it continues to be popular and continues to grow is because it's attached itself to the NFL brand. Um, so it helps. The XFL is not going to be attached to the NFL. It's going to be its own separate football league. I just feel that McMahon, as successful as he was in creating a brand in, in wrestling and other businesses that he's in, I just don't think he was the right fit for the XFL. I think the XFL is going to be a way better fit for guys like The Rock. Um, I honestly think The Rock's going to be able to pull players, maybe not the major players. I'm not. He's not going to get the Aaron Rodgers and the Drew Brees and those kind of guys to to leave. Uh, maybe when they're over and done and the NFL doesn't want them any anymore, but yeah. he is going to be able to pull some names. He's going to be – some of those players that maybe are, like, having disputes with the NFL contract-wise or, you know what, well, then I'll just go get paid at, with the XFL. You know what I mean? 
So I think I think there's going to be some success. I think if they do it right and they don't try to compete with the NFL, if they just try to be their own identity, their own entity, I think they will have some success. Obviously, they will never be as big as the NFL. NFL is always going to be the older brother. Right. I mean, the Super Bowl is only watched by half the world yeah. every year. It's the most yeah. popular thing. I think the only thing bigger than that is the World Series I mean, of Cricket. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is watched by everybody. I which mean, is, but, I mean, but cricket, like soccer, they were around from the beginning before there was any popularity in sports in the United States. Well, I mean, you mentioned soccer. So M Major League, you know, ML the MLS, you know, they're not as popular. I mean, they're trying. The WNBA, they're, and then, you know, those are all great teams. Those are very, you know, they're professional. There's great athletes. I just think it's so hard. I mean, we. It is. I think you got... Basketball, football, baseball, racing, and then hockey, and depending on what part of the country you're from, because I know I, I know that people like in Boston and you know that Chicago, the you know they're very, it's very still popular hockey. Yeah, but on the West Coast, you don't have such a big following, even though we no, have two teams well, here. And then the, the younger crowd, like like the twenty somethings, mm -hmm. are making it relevant. I know a lot of guys that I, I work with that at the restaurant I work at. They're all, all they talk about is hockey. They don't even talk about baseball or football. They talk about hockey. The older guys, we talk about all the old school sports. Same thing with soccer. You know, soccer's become relevant again because of the fact that the younger crowd's making it seem like it's a cooler sport to watch than than baseball, you know? Right. Um, but, and no, and you're right. It It's going to be tough, you know? Uh, the WNBA, which is an actual legitimate professional league just like the nba like the the only difference between the nba and the wnba is one is men one is women they're both they're not one of them is more professional than the other right no but we're talking about popularity and so i think popularity wise yeah obviously the nba I mean, is there's no comparison no you know? and again it's nothing to the women who play at the wa there's been you know cheryl who i mean there's been a ton of no yeah you're talking great about cheryl miller and, yeah. and hoops and yeah and and all, all the great players who played and and you know the the unfortunate part is that wnba players get paid peanuts for being a professional sport they unfortunately get paid peanuts. I think the average salary there's like a hundred something thousand, and you're I'm talking sure. about for the good players right. too. Yeah. Now, I'm, the ones that are like outstanding, the what you would consider the Michael Jordans of the league, they're the ones who get paid the million dollars. Right. But nobody makes fifty million, a hundred million. Yeah. You know. Um. But I mean, I know me personally, because the Rock has now attached his name to it. I'm going to watch and I'm probably even going to pick a team that I'm going to like and, and go with it. You know, I can't speak for the rest of, you know, the rest of America. Um, but I'm going to watch. I think the XFL is going to be interesting now. I, I think so. Again, just like last week, we discussed about uh, Alex Rodriguez and JLo trying to purchase New York Mets. I wish them the best. I hope everything works out. Uh, it's going to be tough. They're going to have to rebrand this in a way that's uh, marketable. Um, where fans are excited, um, you know, like I said, they've tried other names uh, to get them attached to that, and still, it, it was a tough sell. So, yeah, and, I, I wish them the best. I, I do too, and and hopefully they can rebrand themselves. I know that's what saved the NBA um, was the fact that they become a complete branding market, and that's what's made them as popular as they are now. So, well, I think yeah, but I think with the NBA, they had Michael Jordan, which saved basketball and i think that part of that came from 
that strike season that the baseball yeah. had back in '94. That happened to be the same time that Michael Jordan wanted to play baseball. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm sure if we dig, we'll probably find that there was a correlation between Michael. I, I always wondered what would baseball have been like if Michael Jordan would have stayed playing baseball. Because part of the reason why he left was they had a strike. They had a strike. Yeah. And they were trying to get Michael Jordan to kind of be like a poster boy. Yeah, to get just to garner more tickets and more purchase because they wanted you know all these minor leaguers because they and then Michael Jordan's like you know what I, I, I'm not I want to be a part of this I want to be a, I want to be treated and looked at as a professional athlete a yeah. professional baseball player and he had earned the right to do that and then he also saw himself as a scab like hey am I going to cross the line yeah and he decided I I think he did the right thing he chose to side with the players. Yeah, because there was a big dispute. Because and I know we we weren't prepared to talk about this, but I'm a big baseball fan, and I remember that time the owners were trying to create a salary cap. Yeah, that was what that's what the whole dispute yeah. for. Which for a lot of people who don't know, baseball is still the only professional sport that doesn't have a salary right, cap. Uh, uh, yeah, every, all the other professional sports do, and the, and the owners at that time were trying to create one. They were being very selfish, and so it's a whole another podcast that we can do. Yeah. So Chris Elvis Presley. Uh huh. 1942, uh, Martin Dean ate that he used between 1954 and 1956. Uh, it was pretty much in his early career. He, he used it for the songs That's All Right Mama, Blue Man of Kentucky, Blue Moon of Kentucky, and Good Rockin' Tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to take a guess how much that went for it to a fan who was a collector of Elvis Presley memorabilia. You know what, for Elvis Presley, because of the fact that he's so well-known the world over, even all these years later... I would have to say it's in the millions. Oh, absolutely. It was $1.3 million yeah. to a fan who, who I think has remained anonymous, but, you know, he was a big fan from what I understand. Yeah. So, you know, you have a piece of history. I mean, who doesn't know Elvis Presley? You know, our kids grew up, you know, and they yeah. know our, our Elvis Presley. Yeah, Elvis Presley, uh, for a lot of people who may not know, which that would be weird, um, <laughs> made music in the 50s all the way up until the 70s when he unfortunately passed away. But... Uh, was considered 1977, yeah. yes, sir. Uh, but he was considered to be one of the greatest icons in music history. Yeah, I mean, he was definitely at the forefront of rock and roll. Um, I think he helped influence even the Beatles. The Beatles did look up to him. A lot of people looked you up know, to Elvis. And so, um, yeah, so he had he had purchased the original. He had purchased. He had made a trade. Actually, he had a you know he had another Martin guitar that he traded at a piano store in Memphis. He traded that in, and he he got this 1942 Martin Dean 18, which he used for several songs early on in his career. So 1.3. Some of the other things that went on this week: uh, a pair of Michael Jordan game worn modified Jordan One sneakers from his rookie, uh, rookie year 1985-1986. They sold for about four hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars. Also, a record for sneakers. Yeah, that would have to be. Uh, Eddie Van Halen from the Van Halen. Uh, group band to uh, sold his 2000 custom racing Ferrari that sold for 156,000. And then, speaking of the Beatles, a 1966 Toronto Maple Leaf Garden concert poster that sold for almost $69,000. That is also a world record for a oh, I believe that. Poster. I believe that. Um, so during COVID, we continue to see prices for anything and everything yeah. just skyrocket. It's uh, just absolutely amazing, and you wouldn't believe it, but. Uh, music posters, um, 
they go for a lot of money. Oh, absolutely, um, especially early on. If, if they're authentic, actual posters from the day, like the Monterey Pop that they did in San Francisco, yeah. uh, which coincidentally Woodstock is what, is, in New York. For those who don't, uh, Monterey Pop is what inspired the two gentlemen to create Woodstock. Yes, in, absolutely. In they saw the success that Monterey yeah. Pop had. Um, although there was a difference between Monterey Pop and and uh, Woodstock. Where with Monterey Pop, they expected it to be a more controlled uh, uh, venue. Uh, they actually had a lot of problems with it. A lot of problems. Well, I think, the, is that the concert where they put the Hells Angel in yes. charge of security? Yes. <laughs> Big no-no. I mean, what could go wrong? You put Big the no Hell no. Angels. Um, and then with uh, Woodstock. For those who don't know, the Hell Angels were a very popular motorcycle gang yeah. back in the 60s. And their name yeah. says it all. They're the Hell's Angels. Yeah. Uh, that involved a lot of violence and a lot of drugs. And, you know, so it just was a different time. And, and I guess they just weren't expecting as many people to show up to the Monterey yeah. Pop Festival, which is what happened here in Monterey, California. Yeah. Uh, was it 1967? 67, as I believe, is when it came yeah. out. Um, and so they put, so the people who were in charge didn't have enough security. And so they put these guys and then midway through the concert, you know, of course they're on drugs. It's the 60s. People were on drugs and they want to get closer just like we would today. And they just started bashing people's heads in and cracking skulls. And yeah. it just was not a pretty sight. Yeah. And but uh, I mean, some great, great, I mean. Oh no, you had great bands. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix and you had uh, Jonas Joplin, Santana. Yeah. Santana. I mean, you, you name it, they were there. It was, I'm sure it was a great venue to be at, um, just like Woodstock was. Um, but Woodstock is the one they actually predicted to be the one that was going to be a, a huge failure. And it was a huge success. Yeah, yeah. On top of the fact that it got overrun by people so much that it got to the point where they stopped selling tickets and, and so on. And basically, wherever you could plop yourself down and listen to the music, that's what people did. Yeah. I mean, they're talking about uh, uh, there was roads backed up for like three days trying to get out of there. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, and that's something we can do because I think that, I mean, Woodstock by far, for those who, you know, I'm sure most of us know, one of the most influential concerts, three-day mm. festival Absolutely. in the history of music. Absolutely. I've watched that thing probably six times. There's tons of movies about it, tons of documentaries about yep. it. And so it was an amazing event. Um, it was obviously a little bit before our time. I do have some original tickets. Oh really? Yeah, I have some original tickets that were supposed to be have been sold, but they were never used. Obviously, like you really? said, really? Yeah, because they just started tearing down fences, and people just started just getting into. Yeah, the people just started getting into the concert for free. Yeah, and it was an unfortunate thing because, um, you know, it had a lack of food, a lack of shelter, a lack of water. It rained a lot. Yeah, it rained a lot. You know, so if you ever get a chance, there's a great documentary about the music and the people who attended the Woodstock, and so you should check it out. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, 1969. Yeah, so, but yeah, so, but yeah, Elvis Presley, his guitar, I mean, who wouldn't love to have that as part of their collection? <laughs> Especially a game, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that he used to create history. It's, yeah. You know, that's always one of my and, favorite things. And us do. being music lovers and... I don't want to say musicians because it's not like we ever played music professionally, but we do both own guitars. We do, we, we do play the guitar. My brother more than me, I kind of gave music up years ago. I used to play in some makeshift bands in high school. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, we, we played a couple venues that weren't like the most popular places to play music. You know, that was pretty much my run in the music business. <laughs> um, but uh, 
But we're both, but we're both big lovers of music. Yeah, we're both huge lovers of music. Like, there was a point in my life where people called me the human jukebox because there was nothing about music that I couldn't answer for you. People would call me because they, oh, Chris, I forgot the name of this album and the song that came out on it. And it it didn't even have to be a popular band. It could be Engelbert Humperdinck. It could be... uh, Nice pull. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like... (laughs) Like, it could be Stephen Bishop. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I would know who wrote that song, what year it came out, and what album it was on. So, you know, to be able to say that I own a piece of music history, like owning an Elvis Presley guitar, I mean, come on. If I had that kind of money, believe me, I would probably buy something like that. Oh, absolutely. I was trying to purchase a uh, 1975 Stevie Ray Vaughan. Oh my God! Yeah, it went for quite a pretty penny. For uh, I'm a big, you yeah. know, I'm a big fan of Stevie yes. Ray Vaughan. Yes. So there was a poster of him, you know, music poster, just advertising at a local Dallas, uh, no Austin, um, venue yeah. where he had played at. Yeah, because he was from Texas. He was from Texas. Yeah, yeah. him and yeah, him and his brother. Him and his brother. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Jimmy Vaughan. Shit, if I wanted, if I would spend the money to buy an, an Elvis Presley guitar, there's no doubt i would spend the money for a stevie ray vaughn anything yeah I, I love that guy he's one of my favorite blues players of all time me too i think he's super talented one of the greatest guitar and, players you know, of unfortunately, all time. very influential but passed away just you know 1990 i remember i was in high school yeah, yeah. it was after a, a uh, concert with eric helicopter crash yeah. helicopter crash yeah unfortunately and he passed yeah. away so before his time but yeah so speaking of history so we talked a little bit about um Garbage Bell Kids are making a comeback. Yeah. Tell me making a little a bit comeback. about the Garbage Bell Kids, Chris. Well, as we were talking about before, the Garbage Bell Kids were extremely popular in the 80s. I know me, myself, um, anytime I got money, I went out and I bought myself a pack. Uh, some of my favorites that I had that I you know, had back in the days that I liked to collect in was, of course, the original one, uh, Adam Bomb. Yeah. That was... Uh, what they consider to be the first garbage pail kid, the one that leads the pack, the most popular one, and the one that goes for the most money right now. Yeah, because I think uh, whenever you bought it, whenever you saw a box of garbage pail kids, uh, Adam Bomb was the picture that you saw. So yeah, it became the most recognizable most make- and most the most associated with the garbage pail franchise. Yeah, they were created by a gentleman named uh, Art Spiegelman. Uh, Art Spiegelman is an artist uh, who was uh, originally hired by the Topps Trading Company, and uh, he was commissioned to do satirical stuff, uh, kind of like zany, funny things that uh, you know make fun of like uh, milk companies and oil can companies, uh, things like that. He came up with what they would call back in the days wacky packages. Uh, came out in 1967, um, and. In time, that translated into him creating the Garbage Pail Kids. Right. So the, the original ones, they were kind of like sticker format. Right? They were sticker format, yeah. yeah. there were stickers. And, and so were Garbage Pail Kids. They had the trading cards and they had the stickers as well. That's correct, They had yes. both. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, so he... And, and they became hugely successful, the wacky oh, packages. extremely successful. They were very successful. Uh, um, I know that I read an article that said that uh, there was a magazine called Mad Magazine back in the day. Yeah, which is still around today. Which is still around today, but it was really huge back in the days, uh, just like National Lampoon's magazine was. And uh, you would be able to find cards in those magazines 
um, like special cars of like, you know, motor oil, whatever, you know, making fun of motor oil companies and so on. So, um, but uh, Art Spiegelman ended up translating that into the Garbage Pail Kids, which is something that was created based off of Cabbage Patch Dolls. Everybody remembers Cabbage Patch Dolls. If you lived through the 80s, they were a very popular doll that girls loved. Um, like a baby doll. They were the, the whole idea behind them was that they were uh, babies that were born like cabbages out of the ground. Right. And they, they even the commercial, when you would watch the commercial, it would like... Show the the cabbage patch unfolding out unfolding of, out of like a, a cabbage out of a cabbage out of the ground. Yeah, uh, they were made by uh, uh, Coleco, and like I said, they were just extremely popular. My sisters had well, I, I I remember them being the first, and maybe I could be wrong, but one of the first must have toys for the for yeah, Christmas. Absolutely, they were the ones that they they, they created that sold out uh, the Black Friday, like all that went you know where I remember watching the newsreels where people were fighting over you know trying to get their favorite ca cabbage patch doll. Uh, yeah. It became a big thing back in the eighties. Outside of Star Wars uh, toys, uh, which was, were created in the late seventies going into the eighties, which were huge collector toys, uh, the Cabbage Patch Kids. Uh, like you said, where they basically set the tone for how parents were going to act at Christmas time to get their kids the most wanted toy in the country. Black Friday, and, and I mean, which it technically wasn't huge at that time in the 80s, but yeah, people were trampling each other just to get these things. Yeah, fighting in the store and et cetera. So it was, yeah. they were um, super popular. So yeah. I, I could understand why a company would want to create something similar to this, you know, they were so successful. Why not? And so I think that's how Tops said, "Hey, why don't we get as close as we can to kind of creating something similar to the the Cabbage Patch Kids?" Yeah. So that's why they came up with the Garbage Pail yeah. Kids, uh, which was because wacky packages were very successful. In fact, at one point during the 73, 74 years, wacky package wacky packages outsold baseball cards. Absolutely, they that's how they popular they were. All sports cards. Yeah. So they were super popular. So they had some success. Yeah. So there was there was something there. So Top said, "Hey, 1985. You know, why don't we get the same? Because the 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 new the new one was created also by Mark uh, New Garden and John Pound. Yeah. So there was these three inventors who all created with the concepts and the drawings and the you know and how they're going to be able to market this. So yeah. it became hugely successful in 1985. Yeah, and you know. Obviously, because Art Spiegelman had had success with wacky packages in the 60s and the 70s, they thought he would be the perfect guy to create and, you know, uh, draw the uh, cards, which he did. And he actually loved it. He thought it was, you know, a fun thing to do. Uh, unfortunately, because it was the 80s, um, I think they may have gone a little too far and tested the waters too much on what they thought was going to be acceptable for children. <laughs> um, anybody who remembers the Garbage Pail Kids cards and stickers, remember that there was cards where they showed kids vomiting, snot, dismemberment, babies with black eyes. Yeah, so they, they it was a comical take on these little kids that had some abnormality, some deformity, or they had a, they had a suffering, they had a suffering, terrible fate uh, with a humorous wordplay. Yeah. So like we're saying, we had one called Adam Bomb, 
Um, there was one called uh, Flat Pat. <laughs> yeah. So there was just, you know, so it was funny uh, for kids. Yeah. But it got too much because then parents stepped in and said, "Hey, you know what? We're not really digging this new these these new <laughs> they, trading they, cards." They, they weren't very happy about that. Uh, um, what were your, some of your favorite ones, though? Like, like if you could think about uh, some of the cards that came out uh, as a part of the the Garbage Pail Kids collection, uh, what were some of your favorite ones? Um, Rundown Rhoda. I remember that one. Rundown yeah. Roto was one of my favorites. Had the tire track through the phrase. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Thin Lin was mm -hmm. always a funny one. Uh, Uzi Susie. <laughs> yeah, I remember Uzi Susie. Yeah. That one was gross. Yeah, Slobby Robbie. That was another one. Yeah. Uh, Creepy Carol. Yeah. And, of course, there was one called Itchy Richie, which is one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, yeah. What no, about you, Chris? I, I remember all those. Um Obviously, Adam Bomb was one of my favorites. I, I said that earlier. Uh, I like Blasted Billy. Uh, I really loved Barf and Barbara. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I loved Barf and Barbara. Yeah. She just literally had a pool of vomit yes. right in front of her. Yeah. And Snot Witch Sandra, which to me is still one of the grossest cards they ever made because it isn't just snot coming out of her nose. She has two pieces of bread. And, and as the snot's coming out of her nose, she's kind of like with a butter knife. She's putting it like, on top of the bread. Yeah, putting it on top of the bread like it's peanut butter and jelly. Getting ready to eat that sandwich. And that's just... It was very disturbing. That's Yeah. But I as mean, a kid, it's funny as hell. No, like I said, if you're 10 years old, you're laughing your butt off. But if you're a mother of a 10-year-old kid, you're like, I don't think so, buddy. Yeah, I mean, they were so... Garbage Pail Kids were so popular... Uh, they created a movie, which unfortunately flopped. Yeah, huge, unfortunately huge flop. They had an animated television series uh, that also was created the same year as the movie. I mean, they, they it just went on and on. They, I believe they created 15 more series, for a total of 16 yeah. series yeah. of Garbage Pail Kids. Yeah, uh, just sold very, very well. They were very hugely popular. But again, yeah. there, was a, there was schools that were banning them. Teachers were banning them from their classrooms. Mm -hmm. uh, part of the reason why the movie flopped was because parents refused to take their children because the, the movie was a live action movie. It was a live action movie. It wasn't a cartoon. It wasn't a cartoon. So it was a little disturbing. If you ever get a chance, I, I just recently had to relook at some of the clips on YouTube and you'll see what we're talking about. It's yeah, it's it's some wicked stuff. I mean, if, if what we're describing to you as in the cards seem disturbing like the names and the descriptions were given of what the cards look like you can only imagine what a live action movie was like <laughs> with actual people running around in giant doll costumes yeah. doing the most grotesque things yeah yeah, yeah. And, and then the movie wasn't even filmed like bright and sunny and shiny right the movie was done almost in a dark manner. Well, the movie, for if you get a chance, and I hate to do a spoiler alert, but spoiler alert. So the movie starts off where um, you see a garbage pail can flying through the atmosphere. Yeah. And then it lands on Earth, and you see there's like, I think, seven, six or seven different garbage pail kids that come out of it. All I remember was Alligator. Alligator, yeah. Alligator was one of them. Yeah. So there's this boy whose name is Dodger, by the way, uh, who's constantly being picked on, and so they kind of so they kind of befriend this kid and help him to kind of learn how to stick up for himself. So, yeah. So there's a little bit of a, a nice story, but it's just it's it's overtaken by the fact that there's 
farting and their snot and boogers and throw up and vomit and <laughs> yeah. you know so it's I mean yeah. when I was a kid I thought the movie was cool but as a as a dad now that I'm a dad and I, I have my kids uh, my kids are grown but I can I can understand why parents wouldn't pay the price of admission to take their kids to watch this movie yeah you know what I mean um, like I said, it was done in a very dark comedy type of manner. Uh, dark comedies are huge successes now. Movies like that now are a huge success. Yeah. But back in the '80s, as much as it, as much as I would like to say we were a very open country at the time, we were still really conservative. Yeah, very conservative. You know, even here in California, still very conservative. Yeah. I mean, eventually. Uh Tops, which is the the company that produced, was sued by Coleco. Yeah, they were the sued by Coleco. The makers of the Cabbage Patch Kids for trademark infringement. Yeah, I think part of the modification, uh, the part of the deal was that Tops would agree to modify the appearance of some of their Garbage Pail Kids and remove any resemblance uh, yeah. between the characters and the Garbage Pail Kids. Yeah, because even so, in in the, the Garbage Pail Kids, you got also like this little quote unquote birth certificate. Yeah. The, 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 they had a little bit of a background. The Cabbage Patch dolls, you the mean? Cabbage, I'm sorry, yeah, the Cabbage Patch dolls had a little bit of a background yeah. with this birth certificate. You would get like a COA as what they would give you. Yeah. Uh, you would be able to write your name on it. Yeah. Say, you know, I'm Chris so-and-so. This is my doll. Right. But it came with the history and yeah. a little bit of how and why they got the name and et cetera. Yeah. Well, very similar uh, the cab, the garbage bill kids also on the back of their cards yep. also had a description and a little bit about the history of that particular where they uh, came from. Yeah, their name, yada, et yada. So, so I could see. So, yeah, unfortunately, tops they get sued by Coleco, and of course they had to reach a settlement. But nevertheless, I mean, the, it, it, they still were hugely popular. They were su huge success, and I, I mean, I'm surprised I don't collect those cards now. I guess maybe. There's so many other things that are interesting to me in the collecting world that I, you know, especially because sports kind of rules my world outside of my family. So I got so many other things that I want to collect from when I was a kid that Cabbage Patch or not Cabbage Patch, but Garbage Pail Kids have taken kind of a back door to it. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know what? I just might start collecting them again because of the fact that since we're talking about it now. I remember I was a big collector of Garbage Pail Kids when I was a kid. Yeah, so, you know, I, I did a little bit of research just to see, you know, I saw I saw an atom bomb, you know, because, again, it, oh, was, yeah. uh, it was graded up a PSA 10. Yeah. It was going for about four to five grand. Four to five grand. Yeah, I saw you the know? same thing. So some of these originals, as far as the collecting aspect, I mean, they've, they've definitely increased in price because yeah. they're so yeah. a part of the collecting history. Yeah. If you have an atom bomb and you have a whole set of the first series that yeah. came out, I think there was forty-one cards. AMD. Yeah, uh, there's some of them that are going on eBay for up to six thousand dollars. Well, not only that, Chris, but are you familiar with We Are the Goldbergs, the, sh the TV show? Yeah. So the one of the creators of that show, his name is Adam Goldberg. Yeah, it's, I it's basically, love that show. Yeah, it's basically loose. It's loosely based on his life. Well, if you watch that show, it makes several references to. Uh, garbage pail kids yeah uh, i mean he actually uh because of the fact that he was grew up in the 80s like the way we did every episode he brings back uh different things that that were relevant in the 80s garbage pail kids transformers uh night rider um you know he just brings back all these different uh 
uh, uh, Rubik's Cube, Atari, yeah. and so on. Like pop culture references. Yes. Yeah. Very big pop culture yeah. show. Yeah. So you, if you if you grew up in the eighties, you'll probably like this show. It's, it's an awesome it's, show. It's a, it's a funny show, um, and you'll get the references and you'll appreciate them. Yeah. So he 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 reached out to Tops, the original creator of the Garbage Pail Kid, uh, Garbage Pail Kids, and created a challenge coin. And and they took to it. So for those who don't know, a challenge coin is say for example you're in this case you're a big garbage pill kid fan. What a challenge coin is that you buy these coins and if anybody says how big of a fan are you, I challenge you. You show them, hey, this is how big of a fan I am. I got these coins. Really? Yeah, that's what a challenge coin is. They have them for a lot of stuff. That one, hmm. it, it, it boosts morale. So never heard of it. Yeah. So the first set that they produced, there was a hundred coins that was produced to celebrate the thirty-fifth anniversary of the Garbage Pail Kids. They they sold the first one on July twenty-first. They produced a hundred, sold out within a few minutes. Really? They sold out. Yeah. They went for sixty bucks, and they all sold out within the first few minutes. So they said, okay, well, we'll make another. So they made another set, July twenty fourth. Made another hundred coins, sold them for sixty bucks. Sold out for a few. Sold out within a few minutes. A few days ago, on July thirty first, they produced a third challenge coin set. Again, celebrating the the thirty fifth anniversary. Produced hundred coins, sold them for sixty dollars. Sold out within minutes. What? So I saw a set of the first three on eBay. They're going for roughly about six hundred to seven hundred dollars. God dang! <laughs> so uh, I mean, it's still relevant today. You know, I mean, people still love those cards. It's a part of their childhood. Uh, it's one of those things that, for the moment, it will seem like novelty. Yeah. But it stuck around. You know, it's. I mean, like I yeah. said, they produced sixteen different series. Um, I think they're going to try to produce more of the Garbage Pail Kids. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. But for right now, yeah, those challenge, I, I, wish, I, want, I wouldn't mind having a challenge coin. Yeah. I, I, I believe 2016 was the last time that they did uh, a full set of remastered or, or redone Garbage Pail cards. Right, yeah. Uh, for kids. Yeah. Uh, which is done pretty well. They're, they, they're still selling based on the 80s popularity, you know? Well, even Wacky Packages, they... They they produced one in eighty five and ninety one. I think they tried doing one in two thousand and four. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, for the wacky packages because they're just so popular. Yeah, I mean, it's things like that from when you're a kid that you had so much fun messing with stuff like that, collecting those cards and yada yada. Um, they were so popular that over time they may lose some interest because we all grew up. But there's always those people out there like me and my brother and, and so on that we would love to collect that stuff again just from the just for the nostalgia. Just just to have those memories of when those cards came out and, and everything that those cards remembers you of from nineteen eighty five and on. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I think for us, you know, it just it was a simple time. Yeah. Growing up here and we just did it because it was something new. Uh there were funny but, you know, again, it was something that you could trade. There was a social aspect to that where you had to trade with people because, you know, you get packs of baseball cards or packs of garbage bill kids or, you know, sometimes you're going to have repeats. Yeah. And you may not have one that your friend or your family member has. So you did a trading. And that yep. was what's the name trading card. Yeah. So that was what's so amazing about that time, you know, before computers and before cell phones and all those distractions as kids. When we were just all we wanted to do was complete the sets and be the first one to complete a set. Yeah. So it was something that drove and, us. 
but it was an interaction and we would just get together and laugh at the different ones that we collected yeah and and for a lot of you who are having a hard time understanding where we're, what we're talking about it's the same thing for a lot of these newer kids that use cell phones for everything when the whole pokemon on the phone thing happened where you would use your phone to walk around and you would see a pokemon you would catch it and you wanted to collect them all it, it's the same thing it's just that we're now in a virtual age as opposed to a paper age you know what i mean same aspect same idea you know uh just one is done virtually on a cell phone and the other one was you know card in hand but right. um sticking with the theme of uh art spiegel uh, Spiegelman and the guy who created Wacky Packages and Garbage Pail Kids, I found out a really interesting fact about this guy that when I read about it, it was kind of like, what? Like, how do you go from this end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum? So anybody in the comic book collecting world who is a serious collector or at least knows their comics has heard of a book that was done uh it was a series that was run from 80 to 91, um, 91 when the actual book itself came out, uh, called Mouse. And it was done by Art Spiegelman, and it was a book that is based off of the stories that Art Spiegelman's dad would tell him, um, because he's a Holocaust survivor. Oh, wow, really? And so... One day, Art Spiegelman says, I want to do something of interest. I want to do something of substance. Um, you know, no Josie Grossy. So he decided, I want to write a story about a, what my dad went through in World War II. Mm. So what he did is he wrote this story called Mouse. And it's based on World War II and the Holocaust, where he used cats as Nazis uh, mice as uh, Jews and pigs as Polish Jews because where Jews were uh, tracked down throughout the entire world, Polish Jews were the ones that Hitler really kind of despised. He's, those are the ones that he really wanted to like eradicate for whatever his reasons were. Um, so in the book, he depicts Polish Jews as pigs, which everybody considers a pig to be kind of the lower of the animal world, like kind of like the, the disgusting species. So, so this is similar to George Orwell's animal. Farm. A lot similar, a lot, a very lot. Which is similar to be one to, of my favorite it. books of all time. I read yeah. it when I was in seventh grade. Um, amazing. A lot of similarities to, to, uh, uh, animal farm. Um, this is based off of actual stories though, like true stories that his dad went through mm -hmm. and he put them in comic book form. Uh, the book itself, Mouse. Now, what, what year did this come out in, Chris? Well, it, it started in 1980, where he did a series of, of comics and, okay. and so on, books. And then the actual Mouse book, the one that kind of broke now, it all this, down. Is this Mouse, M-O-U-S-E? No, it's M-A-U-S. Okay. So it's the German version of Mouse. Okay. And so in 1991 is when the actual Mouse book, the one that kind of put it all together... Every story he's ever told, the whole nine was put together, was 1991. And believe it or not, that book went on to win a Pulitzer Prize. Really? It is still today the only comic book, graphic novel, that has ever won a Pulitzer Prize. That's amazing. That it's, it is amazing. And, and for good reason. You're talking about a guy who started his career 
doing wacky packages, mm-hmm. making fun of cereal commercials and, and, and so on. Then went on to do Garbage Pail Kids, making fun of a very successful Cabbage Patch doll. Yeah. Some of the most grossest names you could ever think of to come up with for trading cards. And then this guy decides one day to write a book and a series, and he goes on to win a Pulitzer Prize for it. I mean, wow, that's, that's that's pretty amazing. I, I, it is. It's really amazing. It was actually put out through a company uh, called Raw. They're the ones who, who produced it. Now, how many comic books were produced? Do you know? Um, it. I, I don't know how many books were produced. It. I mean, as far as the series, how many? The, the the series itself, I believe, is only twelve. Okay. Um. But I know that that through Raw, uh, which is a company that him and his wife created, uh-huh. to be able to uh, edit, produce, do the artwork, do everything they needed. Um, they created that company for that specific reason. Um, I don't know. It doesn't. The story that I, I read about Art Spiegelman, it doesn't really get into why he didn't use like Marvel or DC or anybody. Maybe they, their image, they didn't want to do something like that, something that was so graphic as what he put into his books. Mm-hmm. Um, because Marvel does do World War II references, where Wonder Woman fights Nazis, Captain America fights the Nazis, but it's nothing grotesque and. And, and foul, like, actual blood being spilled and stuff like that, uh-huh. you know? Um, so maybe that's the reason why. So, like I said, him and his wife came up with their, their own comic anthology. Uh, all the artwork, everything was all done by him. Um, uh, his dad's name is Vladimir Spiegelman. And uh, all the stories on all these books, uh, including the mouse book, uh is all based on actual events that his dad told him that happened to him uh, in World War II in concentration camps and during the course of the, uh, the course of the war. So, the, but they're using these cats and mice, right? Cats and mice and pigs to, de- to depict uh, to the, depict the, the Nazis and the, the stories Jews. that he was talking and, about, and, the, and and to be able to tell the story. Um, and so he he ended up going on uh, to do a lot more stuff. Uh, nothing as close to, you know, mouse and garbage pail kids. He ended up, uh, working for like the New Yorker. Uh, he had a very successful career actually with the New Yorker. Uh, did comic books or not comic books, but comic strips yeah. for them in their, uh, uh, magazine. Uh, and once again, you know, Crossing the line in, in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of political stuff that he did about uh, presidents and stuff like that that a lot of people didn't like and didn't take to. I know he did a lot of stuff on Ronald Reagan that a lot of people weren't happy about because Ronald Reagan is considered to be one of the more beloved presidents sure, yeah, in, in our country. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it just kind of boggles my mind how, how he went from gross satire to... Straight up political correctness. Yeah. And how the atrocities of World War II affected the world so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even in the New Yorker, how politics, he considers politics to be one of the things that, one of the reasons why this country isn't run as well as it should be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously a very smart man. Yeah, no. Obviously a very smart man. He has to be very... To come up with what he's come up with and to depict it the way he did. Well, to win a Pulitzer Pulitzer Surprise. To win a Pulitzer Prize. I mean... That's amazing. You don't... 
you don't just write a book and then you're nominated for a Pulitzer. Right. I mean, if that was the case, you know, Jackie Collins and all these different authors, Stephen King, right? you know, uh, who I consider to be one of the greatest authors of all time, they all would have had their chance to get a, a Pulitzer Prize, you know? Yeah. Um, so it says a lot. And, and, and it really, really says a lot that he did it in comic book form and he still won a Pulitzer with it. Yeah. Because comics... I, I've heard this story many, many times told by Stan Lee in different interviews and, and documentaries. There was a time when when he was doing uh, uh, Marvel Comics, and uh, for a lot of people who don't know who Stan Lee is, he is the granddaddy of Marvel Comics. He created the Fantastic Four. He did Spider-Man. He did the Hulk, you know? And he would go to parties, and people would be like, oh, well, what do you do for a living, Stan? Oh, well, I'm an artist. Oh, really? Well, have we seen your stuff in a gallery? What, what, oh, no, I, I do comic book art. Oh, really? Oh. You know, it wasn't taken as seriously. Yeah. It was even looked down. It was looked down on yeah. in a lot of ways, especially in the 60s and the 70s, uh, where a lot of people in high society saw artwork as... Within the art world. In the art world. Within art community. Comic books weren't considered to be art. Yeah, it wasn't They weren't taken serious. Yeah. And only because they were cartoonish. Because if you read some of the stories that are in these comics, mm -hmm. they're extreme stories. Like the death of Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, her dad, who, who, who Stanley had killed off not even a few comics before her death. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, there was also the Green Arrow, whose uh, well, sidekick was Speedy. Right. The very first comic that was ever put out where they showed a superhero addicted to heroin. Yeah. Well, and then there was the one where Captain America fought Hitler. I think Captain America fought Hitler. Yeah. So, so, you know, comics have really, you know, back in the days, they had a lot to say, but they just weren't taken serious. And guys like Stan Lee, uh, Jack the King Kirby, John Romita, um, you know, uh, Frank Miller, a lot of those guys weren't taken very serious because they drew cartoons. Right. You know? And so... For a comic book to win a Pulitzer Prize, I think that's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. That's it's it's something to me that stands out, um, not just as a comic book, but in life in general. Yeah, just you in know lit what I mean? literature itself. Yeah, in in literature itself, because you're talking about guys like Mark Twain and uh, uh, George Orwell, George Orwell, Hans Christian Andersen, yeah. those guys who are in the pantheon of books who wrote some of the most famous books there there ever was and this guy's up there with them yeah you know so pretty amazing uh, now is there a way to get a, now can we are those are available to find can we find those somewhere? yes you can but yeah. good luck trying to get one that's a book that uh, it's not out there very often mm-hmm um, if it's out there, it's because somebody's auctioned it off because somebody who owned it either passed away or something happened. You don't really find those online as much um, being sold. Uh -huh. And when you do, they're very expensive books to get. I'm, I'm talking in the, the tens of thousands. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine. I mean, because just the significance it had on the comic book world and. You know, I mean, just, you know, that's, a, that's a, amazing. I did not know any of that. So that's pretty amazing, Chris. Yeah, I mean, I knew about the Garbage Pail Kids, but that was, that was it. <laughs> yeah. So that and, was pretty amazing. And, and that's the 
that's the the fun thing about this show and about the collecting world that me and my brother love to talk about so much. The stories behind what you guys collect, if you don't know it, we love when we can surprise you guys with something like this. A little tidbit that you didn't know. You may be collect you may be a garbage pail collector. And now you're looking at your garbage pail cards differently because you're like, the guy who did this won a Pulitzer Prize? Really? For Adam Baum, a guy who, a, a card with a picture of a kid who's farting himself into space? You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it just, it's amazing. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's from, like I said, from one end of the spectrum to the other, you know? But very well respected artist in, in, in comics and, and just all the way around. A lot of guys have considered Art Spiegelman to be one of the greatest artists of all time because of what he's accomplished. Divert, uh, is very diverted. Uh, di he divert, he did, deserves it. I mean, he obviously was very talented. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's awesome. That is. You ready to do your top five Holy Grail? Uh, actually, before we start that, I just want to bring something up really quick. Uh, I was on Amazon Prime the other day, and a new show that just started on the first of this month, August 1st, uh, 2020. Uh-huh. Uh, came out and uh it was about collecting different stores that we're going to talk about different stores and and different things that people collect and stuff and because i'm a collector i was interested uh intrigued and then when i actually read the description of what it was about i was kind of blown away because it's an actual it's a very in-depth uh series it's it's a series i believe of of uh eight shows it's called a uh, toy store near you and they have, let me see, yep, eight episodes on Amazon Prime, and it's called the uh, Toy Store Near You. And what it is, it's not just a show about collectors and the stores that they own and the memorabilia that they own. It's about how COVID has affected collecting. Oh, wow, that's, that's going to be and, very interesting. And 2020, yeah. um, and how it's devastated the collecting market where me and my brother have many times talked about Mike Trout cards and LeBron cards that have only gone up in value. Wait, but you're talking about how it's affected the stores themselves. But yeah, this is how it's affected the stores and how a lot of them have unfortunately gone out of business and when this is over may never be able to open again. Yeah. Uh, how they have had to let employees go. People who live, lived, breathed collecting and who have worked at certain particular stores uh, for like ten years, yeah, and how and now have been laid off. Well, I mean, growing up, we had a few card stores here in the valley. Yeah, and that's a big part of our lives. It's, you know, some you know that's how we spent our time, or at least I spent my time. Um, you know, I always enjoy when I, I used to travel for a company for about almost six years, and whenever I would go, uh, the one thing I would look up was baseball card store, you know, sports card stores. And I would enjoy going and talking to different people who own them. Yeah. Because again, it's not just a business. It's 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 a part of their childhood. It's a part of who they are. It's, a, it's probably even inherited from their family. Yeah. And so they enjoy talking about it. So it's kind of sad that you know, like a lot of like a lot of industries, the restaurant industry and the automobile industry, and just so many industries have been affected, unfortunately, by COVID nineteen. Um, we see how firsthand the collecting world. You know, people who own stores. I mean, yes, you can sell stuff and trade stuff online. Obviously, we're having record numbers for when it comes to memorabilia. But there is, that's the business side of it. If you want 
the collecting side of it, it's going and talking and having people share what their favorite baseball card memories were as they were going Absolutely. Up. So, you know, it's, it's I mean, an unfortunate. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this. I, I know for me personally, there's a couple stores, uh, comic book stores that are here in the desert that do comics and toys and, and, and figurines and whatnot. Um, there's one specific store I love to go to because I had I, I had real rapport with the owner. His name's Q, or at least that's what they call him, Q. Um, it's called Asylum Comics in Palm Desert. And uh, I've been there. I've been to a uh, couple other places. But when you go there, the way the guy makes you feel, the way his wife makes you feel, it makes you want to keep coming back. Yeah, it's, it's like a family. And, and not only is he a huge comic guy like me but he goes out of his way like there was a time when i was collecting everything punisher because the punisher is my favorite i i'll collect anything punisher he's always been my favorite superhero outside of superman and so i walked in there one day and i'm like hey q try and find everything you can on on punisher i need i want to know every comic book that you have on punisher all right, cool. Took him a while because he didn't just have everything at the store. He has a bunch of long boxes. Uh, uh, and for anybody who doesn't understand uh, what a long box and a short box is, those are the white boxes that comic book collectors keep their collections in. So he had a bunch of stuff at his house. So like a week later, I show up and uh, he had like two piles of Punisher stuff. And I was like, and there was some in there that I was just like, I was so excited to have like a Punisher uh, variant that has Black Panther on the cover instead of the Punisher. Oh, wow. Uh, some Punisher War Journals, um, a Punisher Halloween edition, which was a, a very hard book to find. Um, and so I thought the guy was going to be like, okay, well, I want five bucks for this one, five bucks for this one, 10 bucks for this one, yada, yada. He's like, all right. These are, they're worth their, their money. So these, if you want them, you, you're going to have to negotiate the price with me. But all these right here, man, you can have them for a dollar. Oh, wow. I literally bought like 10 comics, 11 comics for a dollar a piece, spent like another $30 on the, the prized ones, the variants and the special ones. Yeah. And then he goes and gives me like six comics for free. Six Punisher ones that he's like, well, I could have sold these to you for a dollar, but I want you to have these. These are ones that you've been looking for. They're a part of your collection. Yeah. And he gave them to me. Well, I know that in L.A. we have, uh, which I've taken you to, uh, we have a big collecting. It's in the city of industry. It's called Frankenson. I love that place. I've been going there for at least 25 years. I mean, it's just. Oh, my God. That place is so awesome. I mean, it has anything and everything that you could possibly want to collect. Yeah. And, oh, literally. Yeah, it's it's a they recently moved, unfortunately, right before COVID, they had moved to a bigger location because the location we were at, which was already big. It was huge. Just couldn't support the amount of attendance that would go. It was it's only open uh, now it's open three days a week, but it was open only two days, which was on Saturday and Wednesday. But I cannot tell you on my Saturday mornings, I would just go and talk to just different people. We're hoping that one day, you know, as we get COVID, you know. We have become more and more safe with the COVID. Um, we're able to do some live podcast from the show because it's going to be amazing. Again, it's comic books, baseball cards, jerseys, figurines. I mean, there's albums, books, you name it. It's it's you can find it at the Frankenstein Show. 
Um, but it's but I know they've also been very affected by yeah, COVID. Sure they have. You know, it's not easy, and especially if your whole um, way of life, your the way you make money is through collecting. It's very very tough. Yeah, you know. So I mean, I I'm looking yeah. forward to the show and seeing how much it's impacted. Yeah. And, and and as me and my brother are big collectors. I try to support as many collectors. That's why I used to travel around. Hey, let me buy. I know I can get this cheaper online or I can get this cheaper somewhere else. But just as a fellow collector, I would always try to buy stuff, you know, at a store just because I wanted to be able to support my yes. brothers and sisters in the collecting yes. world. Absolutely. And and that's part of the reason why I brought this, uh, this uh, uh, toy store near you uh, show up on the podcast because – if there's anybody out there looking for anything that they want to collect, they maybe haven't been able to find anywhere. Um, l- look at the show and these people may have something that you like. And just by buying your stuff from them online, you could potentially be helping keeping a comic store, a collector store, a toy store, you know, in business. Yeah, absolutely. And that, which is a part of our history. And, and like my brother said, we do everything we can to help other collectors out. You know, we're in this cause we have a passion for it because we love collecting and because I couldn't see myself without a lot of the things that I own, um, because it just brings back so many memories, you know what I mean? And, and like going to Frankenstein's for me, the only other thing that makes me feel like a five-year-old kid was when I went to Disney's galaxy's edge. Oh yeah. You talked about that yeah. a couple of podcasts ago. <laughs> I went to that place and, and my wife, it was like she was walking around with her five-year-old son <laughs> because I was just at the edge of my seat at everything there. But when I go to Frankenstein's, I feel the same exact way. I walk into that place and I see the Ghostbuster toys, the He-Man toys, yeah. the baseball cards, the comic books. Um, and I know that they have got to be affected by COVID um, because before this all happened, they would have huge, and I'm talking 100 people. Uh, Magic the Gathering competitions and card uh, games that they have. Anybody knows about Magic the Gathering, it's a huge card game that that a lot of people love to play and are very into. I know my cousin Mike is a huge Magic the Gathering fan. Yeah. And I know he has collected cards and he likes to play the game. And so with COVID being what it is, you can't have 100, 200 people in the same room. Yeah. you know, doing what they do without taking the risk that somebody's going to get infected. Right. You and know, again, and again, the, the one of the biggest aspects to collecting is the social aspect of it. Yeah. Where you meet people, you talk about what you've collected. I mean, you you create friends. Um. So you know, your family. So yeah. you know, so it's a big part of the collecting world. Yeah. So I, you know. I love to talk to other guys that I know, like uh, Joel Zendejas, uh, the guy who's hooked us up with a lot of information on on our podcast so far the guy who gave me the uh, hip-hop uh um comics uh that i have uh you know talking to that guy talking to another one of my wife's co-workers uh uh ed ariano who's a big comic book guy um you know and just being able to have that you know just nerding out on stuff like that and having that social interaction with other people because you have these things in common you know that normally you probably wouldn't even know if you would even talk to somebody like that. You know, it's it's funny. It's kind of like what we talked about last week with the hip-hop books, that bridge where rap is very hardcore and, and, and what they consider to be underground, hardcore, gangster, drugs. Comic books is very nerdy and geeky, and yet they have a huge connection. There's a lot of guys out there that you think are this hardcore 
tough guys and they're big comic book guys. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it brings people together. It's a great social way for social interaction to happen. You know, so I just thought I'd, you know, throw it out there and, and, and hopefully you guys can watch the show and, and, and uh, see if maybe you guys can help or donate to these uh, comic shops and, and toy stores that, you know, are on the verge of shutting down because they're just not making any money. Yeah. So thanks for bringing that up, Chris. Absolutely. Yeah, great suggestion. Absolutely. All right. Now, uh, we're going to do a segment uh, that I came up with the other day. Uh, we may even make this a segment in every episode. Maybe just change the topic, uh, but it's a top five list. Uh, today's top five list, the topic is Holy Grails, all right? For anybody who's a collector, anybody who's ever enjoyed the hobby of collecting anything, there's always a Holy Grail for everybody. And if somebody out there doesn't know what a Holy Grail is, the Holy Grail is based on the idea uh, Jesus has a cup. They consider it to be the Holy Grail, the cup that he drank from in the uh, depiction of the uh, last, the Last Supper. Right, and so which was made popular by the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark. It made very popular by Raiders of the Lost so, Ark because the, they the went looking theme, for that. That, that, that main cup. theme is that the Nazis and, are trying to race. Harrison Ford's character into finding the Holy Grail. Yes, because that cup, if you drink from it, will bring you everlasting life. Right. So, so that translated into Holy Grails being things that you have always wanted to have, but maybe can't for whatever reason. And they're my top five list, if you don't mind me going first. Sure, go ahead. Because uh, I already know my brother. He always comes out with some of the most way out there stuff that like, like my brother, if he could dig holes for a living, he would dig holes deeper than anybody I've ever met in my <laughs> life. When I ask him to look up content... He he reminds he is the Vince Scully of the Collect Me podcast. Let me just put it like that. <laughs> thank you, Chris. He, I appreciate. It. I don't think so, but thank you. <laughs> I, I I honestly feel that way because my brother, when he looks up information, he goes and looks up information. He finds out, you know, he probably already knows who Art Spiegelman is before I even brought him up. Knows who his parents are, what concentration camp the dad was at. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's my brother. He's he's was always a good student in school. Always got straight A's. Very smart guy. You know so. I already know his list is going to consist of some stuff that I'm going to be like, wow, like that. That's crazy. So, all right, let's get this started, man, because I've been really excited to get to this point right here. All right, go for it. So my holy grail, I'm going to start at number five, work my way up to number one. Sure. Um, number five is actually a tie. Okay. Uh, but it's a tie in the same kind of genre, same aspect and idea. Uh, they're both toys. Okay. Both in the same universe. Okay. I just have a hard time deciding which one I would pay the money to get because they're both extremely expensive. But if I could land these, either one of these, I would brag to everybody I know that's a Star Wars fan. <laughs> okay. So my number five is a tie between the Boba Fett uh, collector uh, action figure, the supposed one that launched the rocket, yada, yada, uh -huh. and the original 12 Star Trek action figures uh the ones that came uh in 1977 for a lot of people who don't know in 1977 the movie came out and it was such a huge hit so popular but they hadn't made the toys or couldn't keep up with the demand of the toys yeah so what they did is they put out a uh a uh original 12 kind of card 
where if you sent in uh, so it was an IOU. Basically. It was like a basically like an IOU. You had to send like a, you know, uh, what do they call those? Those you find them on the cereal boxes, uh, and you would cut them out and send them in. Right. Um, and and so and you had to wait like months to get the actual action figures. You didn't get them quickly. You had to wait. Um, and it came on this stand where all the figures were. It had Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, uh, Han Solo, Chewbacca, uh, a Jawa, a Stormtrooper, you know, uh, R2-D2. And in the collector's world, just the stand alone, not even with the action figures, not even with the actual action figures themselves. I've seen them go online, just the stand itself, 125 to $300. Wow. And that's not even with the action figures standing on the actual stand themselves. And what made it so cool is you, they had different card backgrounds you could put. Yeah. Uh, one of them was like space. The other one had like an X-Wing fighter in the background. You know, different uh, stuff that you can put on there. And then they swiveled. They had these little yes, I remember yeah. little swivel buttons on the bottom where you can make the characters turn back and forth. Um, and with the original 12, as opposed to uh, when they redid them, the original uh, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Darth Vader, and Luke Skywalker, they all had what they called the periscope uh, lightsaber. So it had this little kind of like hook underneath the, the arm of the, of the action figure. You would push that up and the lightsaber would come out. Oh, wow. The original ones, though, had this little tether tied to it. Yes. And you would pull that out and it telescoped out. Uh-huh. You can't really find those anymore. And when you do, extremely expensive. So when I say the original 12, I would mean having those actual Periscope uh, lightsaber action uh, figures as a part of my collection. So, but the Bubble Fat, though, um, it was a rocket launch, right? Yeah. But was that ever released? I don't remember it being released. No, it wasn't released. That's yeah. a total I, myth. A lot of people say it was released. It wasn't released. It was made. It was made. It was made. A prototype was made. Yes. What happened was, if people don't know the story about, about Boba Fett uh, action figure, is before that, Battlestar Galactica, Battlestar Galactica, which was a huge show on TV, had this rocket firing toy. Right. A little kid choked on a toy. A lot of people say he died. A lot of people say it's not true that he died. I don't know. But the true story is that he did get the rocket in his throat. He was three years old, and he choked on it. So then when it came time to doing Boba Fett and the and the rocket launcher, they decided, uh, yeah, that's probably going to be bad for business. So what they did is they did an L-shaped and a J-shaped rocket launcher where they did the same thing with the lightsabers where he had a little... A little button that you would push and the lightsaber would come out and it would stop at a certain point and wouldn't, wouldn't actually come off the arm. They did the same thing with the rocket. You so would now, just... Now, the bubble effect came out in 1979. Yes. the oh, Yeah, because it wasn't a part of the original... Oh, correct. Uh, uh, ...movie. Right. You know? Uh, bubble Fett didn't get recognized until Empire Strikes Back. That's correct, yeah. Um, so it came out in 1980. 1980. So they came out in 1979 with the bubble Fett because they knew it was going to be popular. Right. And yeah. so they did the L-shaped and the J-shaped uh, uh, backpack where you could actually lift the rocket out, but it didn't come detached. Um, so um, 
that actual action, action figure itself is a holy grail. I've seen those go for tens of thousands of dollars I online. Bet. I could imagine. Um, because of the myth and all the stories and everything that you know that's behind the Boba Fett. On top of that, he's also one of the most uh, beloved and favorite characters right. in the Star Wars universe. So the Mandalorian is that a Boba Fett? No. Okay. Boba Fett is actually the guy. But he's a Mandalorian, though. Right? But he's a Mandalorian. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So he's he's a Mandalorian in the sense that they all come from the planet Mandalore, uh -huh. um, just like the Mandalorian. Uh, well, the exception of the Mandalorian character in the show, he's not actually from Mandalore. He was uh, raised by Mandalorians. He was raised by and became one. Right. Um, but yeah, but Boba Fett is his actual name. He has a dad, which has the same last name Fett. Uh, I think his name is Jabba Fett. And so, uh, um, but that toy itself is, is in the Holy Grail of Star Wars collecting. So, I mean, unless I hit the lottery next week and win $50,000 <laughs> to be able to make a bid for uh, a Boba Fett action figure. It may have even gone for more than that. I'll be honest with it, you. You know what? I mean, Star Wars fans are very crazy about that. Oh, collection. without a doubt. Without a doubt. I know for for a fact that the actual uh, uh, prototypes, the when they're when they're actually making the toy itself, uh, they make obviously a prototype. Um, it doesn't have any color to it. Doesn't have any any de definition to it. It's just what they're going to use for the idea to make that toy. Yeah. I know those themselves can go for hundreds of thousands Absolutely. of dollars. Yeah. Um. So that's my number five. All right. Number four. My number four. Action Comics number one, featuring the first Superman. And that book is in the millions. Yeah. <laughs> Last time I saw it in auction, I think it was like $1.8 million yeah. that it went for. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't understand uh, DC Comics. They do Superman, but Superman was actually an action comics first. Right. The same way before DC started doing Batman, he was detective in the detective comics. Um. So, Superman is based off the character Shazam. Yes. And Superman obviously became more famous than Shazam. Um, but when that book came out, um, it was the first appearance of Superman. It shows him lifting a car and saving uh, people uh, in the city of Metropolis, where Superman's story is based, which is basically New York. And... Uh, it's a book that, unfortunately, you can't find anywhere. Uh, a lot of copies were got old, got destroyed. Um, well, yeah, it came out in 1938. Yeah, it came out a long time ago. Yeah. And so it became a book that was very, very sought after for a very long time. And has only increased in, in, in uh, value over the years. Um, and it's considered to be what really launched comics. Yeah. It's the book that, because there had been comics in newspapers, there was comic books that were done before action comics, but nobody ever really paid attention to them. They weren't a big deal. Um, nobody really made them, you know, stand out. But that Superman, he became the first what we consider to be superheroes, popular superheroes. Right. You know, famous superheroes that, that kids wanted to be like. And so there's just so much to value about that comic that it's not, not outside of Batman. 
there's no other comic books that come close to the value of what Action Comics number one, yeah. what the first appearance of Superman is like. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, all right, let's move along. Number three, Optimus Prime. <laughs> Transformers. Always, as a kid, a huge uh, uh, fan of the comics, uh, of uh, Transformers, a huge fan of the toys. They were a little expensive. My mom couldn't afford it. I was never able to get an Optimus Prime. I always wanted that toy so bad. My mom went with the Kmart version. She got me GoBots. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Which were cool. <laughs> I, I love my mom with all my heart, and I'm really glad, and I appreciate everything she's ever done for me. But she did what she could. You know, she's right. a single mom. So she got me the GoBots. The rest is history. But I've always wanted a Optimus Prime. But there again... Optimus Prime being the leader of the uh, of the Transformers, the you know the guy who's fought Megatron off and the Decepticons and and the leader of the Op Autobots and and with the movies and and just all the stuff that surrounds Transformers, it's hard to find those things online for a price that I could say I can afford. And they're still popular today. We see what has been up to three movies, right? Yeah, three I, movies. I, no, there's actually four now. There's four. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, so Optimus Prime is my number three, my number two, and the toy that I wanted more than anything in life. I, I literally looked this toy up all the time in the hopes that one day, just one day, <laughs> somebody's going to be selling it for $100 and I'm going to buy it and I'm going to be so happy, but it never happens. And that is the original Voltron the lions, the oh, five right. lions. Yeah, the five lions. Um, huge cartoon when I was a kid. Yeah. I don't know one kid, and that includes girls. Yeah, who did not like Voltron, especially because Voltron in the Voltron world, the five lions were run by guys, but one of them dies, and then a girl takes his position, and so then you have an actual girl uh, helping form uh, Voltron. Um, but uh. That toy, man, if I could have had any toy in my entire life. That would have been it. And never own another toy ever again as a child. That would have, for sure, without a doubt. I wanted that thing so bad. I had a guy that I knew, uh, that I've known my basically my whole life since I was five years old. We used to live next door to him in the apartments we grew up in. And he had that Voltron. And he would come to my house and we would play with it. And... I was just so jealous. I was just so <laughs> jealous. I ain't gonna lie. I was jealous. It, it, I always wanted a Voltron. But there again, my mom, bless her heart, she got me the Voltron, all right. But she got me the, uh, I think it's the 16th version or the 12th version of it, uh, which were cars. And there was actually three different sets of them. I think it was like 15 cars all together. Yeah, I think it was like 15 cars. Uh, it was, they represented air, land, and like water. Mm -hmm. And, but I mean, it was hard to collect all of them because there was so many cars that made that Voltron up. Yeah. That to get every single one of them and actually make your Voltron character come alive, it was almost next to impossible, you know? And then it was the cheapy Japanese version. Which, at that time, nobody cared about Japanese toys. <laughs> they were just a ge cheap, generic version of what the, the kids who had parents with money had. Yeah. You know? And, but, I'm going to tell you one thing about that toy. 
I regret it with all my heart because I actually had, my mom must have bought me like maybe five or six of the cars that it came with. And uh, now because Japanese toys are so popular in the collecting world, yeah. those things are worth thousands. I could imagine. I could imagine. Because you can't really find them you anymore. Find them because of the fact that they were just discarded toys. Ah, that's yeah. Like I said, that was the Kmart right. to Target right. scenario. You know, a lot of people, oh, I, I don't shop at Walmart or Kmart. I shop at Target. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It was the same thing with Voltron and the Transformers. They had their secondary little brother. That was the GoBots and the cars. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, Voltron was my, I, I've seen every episode, every single episode of Voltron there ever was. And I even watched the new series that they just created on Netflix because they have a new Voltron yeah, series. Voltron, so yeah, I saw, I've seen the preview for it when you click on it. And so, yeah, that's my number two Holy Grail. Okay. My number one Holy Grail. And the one thing that I wanted more than anything in life. Uh, I love my kids with all my heart, but... If trading kids away for this one particular holy grail could be done, I'd trade them away, at least for a day, just to have this book in my hands and be able to read it. To own it, I'd probably sell my house. <laughs> uh, that is number 169, the first appearance of the Punisher in Spider-Man. Mm. Because the Punisher to me, that comic to me, made me a Punisher fan. I was always a superhero fan in the sense that I loved the Hulk. I loved Spider-Man. I love Captain America. I love Iron Man. I love all the Marvel comics. I love all the DC comics. I'm a huge Superman fan, which if there's two comics that I've collected more than anything else in my life, I have a huge collection of Superman and a huge collection of Punisher. But I knew I was never going to be Superman. He came from Krypton. He's an yeah. alien who's got all these superpowers. Frank Castle? I could be Frank Castle. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was your average, everyday guy who, unfortunately, they killed his family. So he sought vengeance. And where a lot of people don't consider him to be a superhero because he's committed murder. Yeah. I still consider him a superhero because he's there's comics where he's gone out of his way to help people right uh there's a particular comic i have where he goes back to his vietnam days when he fought in vietnam and saved a bunch of soldiers you know what i mean yeah how is that not heroic yeah no absolutely i think a lot of people do i mean they made a movie a couple of movies of the punisher already. oh yeah and 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 the they made one with dolph lundgren right uh, oh by the way guess who i saw today Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Really? Yes. As a coincidence. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. He was he was having uh, dinner at my or lunch at my restaurant today. Oh wow, that's yeah. awesome. He looks great. I mean, I he bet. looks great. He looks I mean, great. That's Ivan Drago. Yeah, you yeah. Know yeah I mean? you know. <laughs> but you know, he, he played him. It was a good movie. I liked it. Yeah. It was a good movie, but it wasn't a real depiction of the Punisher. It was right. more comical, kind of cartoonish. I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the one, uh, that came out in, uh, with Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine, yeah. My favorite Punisher by far. I love that movie. I've seen it a hundred times. The Punisher that, that Thomas Paine plays in that movie, to me, is as close as it gets to what the comic is of how 
the Punisher's family was killed, why he became who he is. Thomas Jane. Thomas Jane. Yeah, Thomas Jane. And, and, you know, everything about it just says actual Punisher comic. Yeah, came out in 2004. I love that movie. John uh, Travolta. John Travolta played... Roy Schneider. Uh, yeah. Uh, paid uh, one of his uh, arch enemies, one of his yeah. great arch enemies, uh, and so did Harry Heck. Comes out in that movie too yeah. as, as one of his arch enemies. And so that book, to me, I've read it. When I was a kid, I read it. I never bought it for whatever reason. Maybe I just couldn't afford it. I didn't have the money. Um, because of his popularity and over the years. And because he's associated as you know with, with Spider-Man in that comic and Spider-Man, anything you go Spider-Man is always going to be really, you know, up there in value. But it's that's one of those books that there again thousands of dollars, right. uh, depending on the condition it's in. You can pay fifteen hundred dollars. You can pay a thousand dollars. You can pay eight hundred dollars, six hundred dollars. But I've never been able to get my hands on it. You know, even if I wanted to pay six hundred dollars for it, I could never find a copy of that online that cheap. Yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, I would have to research it, but I could imagine it's going to be up there in price because he's such an influence in the comic book world. He is, you know. Um, and then because they've done books like The Punisher kills the Marvel Universe, uh, just like Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe. You know, the the, the Punisher has been depicted, and he comes out in a lot of different. Uh, uh, comics uh, uh, fighting other superheroes um, and so on, but number one sixty nine, man, that that's the one that I, I would literally. I don't honestly, I can't tell you what I would I wouldn't do for it if if I had a thousand dollars and I knew that I could spend that thousand dollars without my wife choking me. <laughs> I would spend a thousand dollars to buy that comic. Yeah, because I would. I want to own it. I've always wanted to own it. I've always wanted it. It's, yeah, it's number one twenty nine. Came out in February. One, 19, yeah, one February nineteen seventy four. So, and that's another reason uh, because it came out the year I was born. <laughs> All right, awesome. All right, my top five. Uh, so again, I also have a tie. All right. For number five, uh, the first one would be a Kobe, a Kobe Bryant jersey autographed. Just because I'm a big Lakers fan, mm -hmm. I think to me to own that uh, as a part of a you know. I think it would be amazing. Yeah, just to remember his legacy. I mean, because it got. I mean, Kobe was one is one of the greatest basketball. Oh, without players, a doubt. So, you know, without a doubt. You know, he had a three peat and he had a two peat, so he can't he can't beat that. You know, no. I mean, um, he went. I think he went a total of six times, seven times to the NBA Finals. Yeah, yeah. I think they, he lost twice. He lost twice. Um, tied with five would be uh, in 1963 for the first time. Uh, Felipe, Maddie, and Jesus Selu uh, played the outfield for the San Francisco Giants. Hmm. They, they, yeah, was, yeah, I they don't remember that. Yeah, they played the Gi They played uh, together as brothers uh, oh. in the outfield, starting the game. Uh, there's a couple of autograph pictures of them playing. I know I would love to have an autograph of all three of them when they were playing with the San Francisco Giants. They all went on wow. to respect the Alu family alone. Again, that's another podcast. Yeah. But that yeah. I mean, they just generations and cousins and you know so many yeah. people who played uh, within that family. Almost like the Molina baseball. family and and the uh, and the uh, uh, what's it called the, the Ripken family. Yes. Yeah. My number four would be a Babe Ruth bat. Yeah. I mean, just the history of that. I mean, there's 
you know, besides Michael Jordan I, and Wayne Gretzky, I can't imagine any other name being so associated with a sport other than Babe Ruth with baseball. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, my number three would be also a number one action comic, Superman. Really? Yes, absolutely. I think the influence that Superman had on comic, I mean, there's there's comic books before that mm -hmm. action, and then there's and then and then after Superman. Yeah. So I think you know just such an influence uh, that it had on, on it, comic books and how much it changed. Absolutely, comic Cause, books in because he made it cool to collect comics. He made it cool to want to have comics. Absolutely. My number two would be anything, uh, any speech by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. See. That's the stuff I'm telling you. <laughs> Richard Vince Goldie Lascano. Like, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. He that, went MLK on us. Yeah, I, I think I've seen that. I've seen a couple of his speeches that he's done in auctions that, as you could imagine, just go beyond anything I could ever afford. Yeah. Uh, but just, obviously, the influence that he had on this country, um, on the civil rights movement, um, what he stood for as a, as a man, you know, uh, it just was, it, I would love to be able to have a part of that history to yeah. have one of his speeches and, you know, and own one of his speeches, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, my number one would be a 1952 tops number 311, 311 Mickey Mantle. I mean, there's a baseball card that epitomizes collecting just in general. It would be that one. That that is the poster. I mean, you you cannot. Anytime you see uh, uh, something related to baseball cards, that card is always shown. That, that yes, absolutely. You're you're absolutely right about that. Anytime they talk about popularity of comic of of uh, collecting cards, baseball cards, the classic cards. Yeah, that's definitely one of them that always comes up. Yeah. So uh, very in influential player. Um, that guy just he was baseball. Yeah, he was baseball. I mean, there's just no one that gets any better than that. Mm -hmm. It's consistent, as popular. I mean, uh, I mean, countless amount of you know World Series titles that he yes. won with the Yankees. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, and you know, so you know, very respected. Yes. Uh, so uh, yeah, it I would mean, be awesome to own that card. I, I kind of feel cheap. With my list compared to MLK, <laughs> I mean, who comes up with stuff like that? You know what I mean? That, that, now you guys know that the show's not scripted because who says that they would like to collect something like that unless you're like, uh, you know, somebody who's into things like that. Yeah. But, you know, I respect that, though. Well, I mean, that kind of, I mean, my collection just, I mean, like I said, you know, in the, I think one of the first podcasts, it, it started in baseball cards and it just grown to collect, I mean, I, I try to collect things that I think that would be relevant to history now. Yeah. That's kind of what I like to collect, things that this was a part of history. Absolutely, yeah. Another, so. and, and, it, and 50 years later, still relevant. Absolutely. Like what's happening today. Yeah. You know, with the Black Lives Matter movement yeah. and, and, you know, what we see going on today and just, you know. Yeah, and, and I totally agree because where I started off with sports, that, like I said, I, I started collecting hats before I started collecting anything else, yeah. you know. And that translated into me having the collection I have today. And now I have such a vast collection of so many different things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, if, if I, I, I'm not even going to get started, but it definitely went beyond sports and toys and comics. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, I, told, I could totally respect that, man. ML, MLK, very influential man and very well-respected man to, even today. And the things that I like, because I talked about this earlier um, in another podcast, uh, 
what he says, what he said in the 1950s and 60s is yeah. still relevant. Yeah, it still how, resonates today. How we as human beings should learn to live together. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. All right, Chris. All right. Well, thank you guys again, man, for listening to another edition of Collect Me. I'm going to throw out the uh, email. It is uh, collectme at 7374 at gmail.com. Give us any ideas, anything uh, you guys want us to know about, what, what, pictures. Why what, what don't you shoot us your top five Holy Grails? Yeah. You know what? That's a good idea. Yeah, sure. uh, I'm going to take it a step further. I've been wanting to do this for a while, and I think our fifth show is a, is a landmark now because we've reached number five. Send us... Uh, your top five holy grails and on the next show me and my brother will go through those holy grails and we will pick the one that we like the best the one that we think has the most unique holy grails to collect yeah and the one who has the best will get a ten dollar uh gift card for me okay awesome how about that so email us text us message me uh my Facebook page on Collect Me is going to be going up tonight. So anybody who wants to comment on that will be able to comment it, comment on it tonight. It will be going uh, uh, going out. Uh, so yeah, top five uh, uh, holy girls that you guys have always wanted to have, but for some reason you guys can't get them, or you're not collectors, or you don't know how to get them. And me and my brother uh, next week when the show happens, we will give what we think is the best top five. And that guy or girl will get a $10 gift card from me. How about that? So once again, uh, collect me at 737, collect me 7374 at gmail.com. Our Facebook is also going to be collect me 7374. Uh, so be looking out for that, all right? Tonight. And email us, please, people. Uh, we want to hear what you guys have to say. And we want to be able to start making this a more interactive podcast with our fans and our listeners. So uh, we're throwing that challenge out for you guys. That's that's our challenge coin <laughs> to you guys. All right? Thank you guys very much for listening. We really appreciate you guys listening. Yeah, we, be safe. Wear a mask. Please yes. just try to get through this as quick as possible. Let's all try to get through this as quick as possible. Let's, let's be responsible and do what we can for other people. Thank you very much. Good night. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you. <laughs>